The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. The Halftime Report starts right now. I am Brian, in for Scott today. And the word of the day, the word of the week, the word of the year is inflation absolutely flying now at its fastest rate of price gains since all the way back in 1982, return of the Jedi territory. Stocks, they don't seem to care, but should they? We're going to dive into what this means for the Fed's taper timeline, your money, and all those high-flying valuation stocks you have loved for so long, and whether or not we will get a Santa Claus rally this year, or maybe we already had one. We're going to debate all of that over the next hour with our excellent investment committee today, Amy Raskin, Rob Seachin, Kevin O'Leary, and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. But first, why don't we get a check on the markets at this hour? Now, yeah, we have given up some of our larger gains from earlier in the day following that red-hot inflation read, but context is key. The S&P 500 still on pace to break a two-week losing streak, we're actually on pace for our best week since all the way back in February. The Nasdaq as well. Get this, the Dow having its best week since late June. All the major averages, they are up 3 to 3.5%, Amy, so far this week. Why do we seem to not care? And just, you know, they talked about Taylor Swift, whatever, earlier, shaking off the inflation data. Well, I think for one thing, the market was expecting a hot number. It's been largely previewed. Um, and inflation is good for real assets. So um, stocks are going to do well in an inflationary environment as long as the Fed doesn't act to, to pull it back too much. And I think um, given that we're at the zero lower bound, there's an asymmetric risk for the Fed moving here. And so I think it's going to take them a longer time to move. And I think that's what the market is reflecting um, and um, that's why stocks are still still have a green light. Yeah, Kevin O'Leary, you agree with that? The green light does appear to be there. In fact, not only is it green, I feel like there's somebody honking at us from behind because the market has taken off this week. You know, a little inflation, a little dabble dewey of inflation is actually good for corporate pricing power. And it really is constructive for equities. You go back in history, right, right back to 82, I mean, when you start to see inflation creep in, and I mean real inflation. So, you know, just two weeks ago, it was a different dialogue that was temporary inflation caused by supply chain issues. That's not the case. We basically overstimulated in the last two years. It's just been too much cash coming out of the helicopter. And so at the same time, if you own a good quality company that's servicing consumers, they're able to raise prices in inflationary time because their input costs go up. And in some cases, their input costs are not as high as what they can raise in pricing. And you get margin enhancement. That happened in 82 as well. And I think we're going to see it here. I'm very constructive on equities. I would be avoiding fixed income here because sometimes things get out of control and the Fed has to move a little faster. And that might happen in Q1 or Q2. And that's where you get slaughtered in long-term yep. fixed income. 
Yeah, Rob, I'm going to destroy the show right at the top. Why not? And go super wonky and just chase the viewers off. I want to show the two-year yield. We never talk about the two-year yield, and I'm only bringing this up because it goes to what Kevin and Amy were just talking about. The two-year note, the yield spiking. Why do we look at this? Because as Tom McClellan and other people say, the two-year is what you watch when you want to know what the Federal Reserve may be doing. And with that yield up, the two-year is saying, and the bond market is saying, Rob, is it not? that we may need to have more and faster rate hikes next year than the Federal Reserve is outlining. What's your take on that? Stocks and inflation. Uh, Actions speak louder than words, Sully, and I think the Fed is absolutely behind the curve. The taper will happen faster. I think they're going to announce it next week. The best indication uh, that they're behind the curve happened back in September, where they fo- pivoted from focusing on the headline uh, inflation numbers to tightness in the labor market. They did not want to take the chance of a weak headline number, and that was very clever. They denied that they were behind the curve, but their actions spoke louder than words. And if you look at the data, you quoted the highest since 82 number, but you look at the core data, the highest since 91. You look at the food and energy component, the highest in 13 years, and the most sticky, which is the shelter component, the highest since 07. And many, uh, many were worried. So I think markets are reacting because the Fed's pivot is going to be viewed as uh, as a as a blessing. Um, If anything, you know, staying too stimulative too long adds to uh, some of the things that uh, were driving prices higher and in creating more inflation. And if you just look at the consumer sentiment data today, it rebounded because the survey showed that the biggest worry was inflation. And when asked if it was employment or inflation, 76 percent said inflation and the bottom third of earners, uh, they were the most optimistic because they expected significant increases in their wages, the highest since 1981. So when you mix all this together, I, I think what you have is probably some volatility, but because we're stabilizing price, because we're reacting responsibly, if the Fed can thread the needle, my bet is that that's going to be a positive for markets. We're going to get scared along the way. There's no question about it. We're going to get scared. But I think if you buy quality stocks with yeah. pricing power, you're going to be in a good place. Yeah, but, you know, Pete, Rob just used the other I word. Of course, the main one is inflation, but the one Rob just mentioned, (laughs) if, if the Fed can thread the needle, if they don't Mm -hmm. screw it up, right? We are putting a lot of faith, I think, given these numbers, Mm -hmm. in Jerome Powell and Leo Brainerd and others to get it right. There's no doubt about it. I I think that's exactly right. I mean, and and this is not an easy thing, Brian. This is very difficult. We all know that. I mean, this is at a different level than people can fully even embrace and understand. So it is an incredible time. And it's it's something that we, that's why I think that we are seeing this is such a major catalyst. And any time that we are talking about the Fed now that the movement in the markets is absolutely extreme. It's not just a, uh, well, we got a little bit of a move to the upside or the downside. It's extreme. These are moves that are that are absolutely off the charts, 500 and 600 point moves based upon that. So the catalysts out there right now are causing a lot of the different velocities that we've seen. Obviously, the spikes that we had seen when it comes to the volatility index itself, although now we are actually now sub 20, which is a better spot to be, because when you get into that 2025, that's a no man's land. You get a little bit higher than that. 
Now you've got a lot of volatility, and you can trade around that. But you, you, we, I think most people are not fans of volatility, and because of that, seeing the VIX coming back underneath 20 is probably at least helpful. But that doesn't mean we're out of the woods. There is, uh, this is going to be very, very difficult for Jerome Powell and the Fed to be able to get that needle threaded exactly right, as you said. Yeah. So I think that's why we're hanging where we are, uh, Brian, to be perfectly honest with you. It's also why... You know, it doesn't mean it's always negative. It's also why this per, the first three days of this week we had moves that were absolutely extraordinary on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, all really, really powerful moves to the upside. And then what do you look at on Thursday? Well, they, they go after the high multiple names, and they just absolutely slammed them yesterday when you look over at the NASDAQ and you look at the semiconductors and you look at the technology and, yeah. and obviously some of the biotech. It's, it's, it's just an incredible time right now in terms of the volatility and the moves that we are seeing the velocity of the moves is extraordinary. Not just hard to thread the needle, Amy. It's going to be more expensive. By the way, cotton prices are up 50% from one year ago. That aside, you look at the market, you th- all the meme stocks have been just absolutely bludgeoned the last couple of months. The best performing group today, Amy, are the consumer staples. Very boring companies that we don't talk about a lot, in part because they're boring. But the market doesn't think they're boring today. Is that what we're going to see? Is that going to be the theme of 2020-22, you know, buy the staples, buy the things that are tied and made to your point and Kevin's point, actually have a little pricing power. Well, it remains to be seen how much pricing power staples really has in the long run. But um, so I, I wouldn't go to the defensives yet. And I'm not betting that, although I'm not betting that the Fed threads this needle um accurately because I just think it's it's too hard the the hole is too small to get the thread through I'm using that analogy so um, I, although I think until the Fed moves and uh, the liquidity is going to continue to um, buoy the market and um, I think we're heading into a, a very different paradigm and a very different investment environment um, in 2022 and beyond and people do need to reflect that I think it's an environment that's better. For cyclicals and economically sensitive stocks, I think the economy is going to continue to do well. But I do think inflation will settle out higher than it has for the past decade. Um, There are lots of reasons why um, not just the Fed. um, We're in a different labor market situation. We're in a different energy market situation. We're in a different consumer leverage market situation. So um, I I would, you know, I don't think it's going to be, I think this, this, decade of, you know, buy anything that has a long duration and fast growth um, is going to is going to change dramatically. Yeah, one more, Kevin, before we bring in uh, Professor Jeremy Siegel, because I know you've been buying a lot of your OUSA, the O'Leary sort of ETF. And and I'm looking at the the internals of that. And I'm not going to call it boring because you are not a boring guy, my friend, but it's got Home Depot, Procter & Gamble, McDonald's. It's got a lot of those sort of steady eddy consumer staple type stocks in it is that kind of why you're adding to that position i am i really really care about balance sheet in 2022 i think the issue is going to be as you go into the headwinds of the fed moving up on interest rates and you take a balance sheet like united airlines for example that went into the pandemic with seven or eight billion of debt and now is well over 20 that balance sheet's upside down you don't want to own that when the cost of maintaining debt is going up because both short and long-term rates are likely to, to move forward and go higher, cost the company more. So what I like in OUSA, and you are right, it is boringo. But those balance sheets are just something to look at with a tear of joy, full of cash, really generating income and distributing it through dividends. 
I like boring now. I really like boring. We're going to call BBS boring but sexy. We'll talk more about it throughout <laughs> the show, but let's bring in now our market headliner, Jeremy Siegel. Needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one because it's TV. He's a professor of finance at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Professor, great to have you on because, as you know better than everybody, and all those legions of smart kids that you have taught over the years have learned from you, it is not about the number. It's about the number versus the expectation. And as hot as inflation was today, Goldman Sachs and a few others actually thought it might be worse. Is that why we're seeing stocks react positively? Yeah, I mean, there was talk that it could be over 1%. So when it came in almost exactly at expectations, I think there was a kind of a relief in the market. Uh, it still means, uh, and without question, the Fed is, is going to accelerate the pivot next week. I think they're going to have to make many more pivots. I mean, I, I agree with uh uh, uh, Rob and Amy, I mean, uh, Rob said they're behind the curve. I think they're still way behind the curve and they're going to have to make a much more aggressive, uh, moves next year. But then again, um, as, as, as Amy said, and as I've been saying, stocks are real assets. I believe there's a lot of pricing power in, um, uh, mo most of these stocks that they're going to pass on these higher costs to maintain okay. their margins. You want to hold real assets in an inflationary time. The only time it gets dicey is when the Fed gets has to get very, very aggressive. And that could be quite a few months from here, uh, from yeah. what I can see. Okay, you're talking about pivoting. But let's be clear, and for our audience that may be new, there's two things the Federal Reserve is going to do. They're going to taper and they're going to tighten. Tapering is a reduction of bond buying. Tightening is actually raising rates. When you say pivot, do you mean what? Well, the, you know, the pivot first, they announced a tapering schedule. And now they basically said we're going to double the taper. Um, uh, he, the, we're going to get a double. Are they going to raise rates next year? Yeah. Well, I think they're going to have to raise rates immediately. Honestly, right after the taper ends, which could be March and April. Um, and that's going to be another pivot from expectations. Remember, you know, they don't want to shock the market. They want to soften up the market. So I think if inflation, as I do believe it's going to remain hot, I mean, you take a look at the housing sector. It's up only 3 to 4% from a year ago. Well, we all know rents and home prices are up nearly 20. That's going to filter into the data in 2022. It's going to remain hot. And I think that Powell will have to react to that by accelerating what the market thinks is going to be maybe a mid-year beginning, maybe two raises, three raises. He may have to get to one, one and a half, two percent by the end of uh, 2022, and maybe even higher. Fed rate hikes, they get a bad name. People kind of assume, well, for raising rates, a recession's going to come, stocks get crushed. That didn't happen from 2016 to 2019, pre-pandemic, and it certainly didn't happen in 94 when they raised rates by 2.5%, inconceivable, right? And in 95, the Dow rose 33 or 34%. So direct question, Professor Siegel, is does the Fed, which will probably raise rates next year, like you said, does that rate hike or hikes 
kill the stock market momentum? Not right away. In the first year of the rate hikes, actually, that that has marked good stock markets. It's only when they find themselves, oh, my God, inflation, we're going to have to squeeze harder, which maybe very late 2022, maybe 2023, where you begin to get the wobbles in, in the stock market. In the meantime, I think there's going to be more what I've been calling taper tremors, not tantrums. I, th- I think we saw a tremor uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving when, when we heard that pivot. Uh, I think there's going to be some more tremors coming up. But basically, the first year of increases um, uh, with the liquidity that's in the market, I-, I think still makes a positive market for 2022. All right. He has spoken to Professor Jeremy Siegel, a positive market in 2022, despite the twin T's, the taper and the tightening. Professor, have a wonderful weekend. Speak to you soon. Take care. Thanks very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, Rob, you jump in here. The, uh, Professor Siegel dropped invoking your name in that interview, and he seems to agree that just if we get inflation and we get rate hikes and tapers and tightening and all these other things, the stock market, or at least parts of it, can do fine next year. Well, you know, it, it all depends on how hard they have to slam the brakes, right? How far behind the curve they are. And that's why, you know, Powell's been a master orator. He's, he's telegraphed things in a way that preps markets for activity. And I think, you know, it's not always obvious to everybody, but if you really read his notes like we did in September and, the, you know, the, the, the move out of, uh, out of transitory inflation, I think he's going to be able to do that this time. The other thing that I would note, and, and, and a lot of studies show this, that in the first few years of an inflationary environment, stocks tend to do really, really well. Now, not really expensive stocks, as we talked about earlier in the show, there's there's a yeah. lot of carnage there because when you discount that growth, uh, you know, at, at, a, at a higher rate, you know, you get a lower valuation. And so I think those stocks got exceedingly expensive. But when you look at quality growers, when you look at some of the attractively priced cyclical names, and there's a lot of low PE stocks out there that traded a discount to the market that you can invest in, in an environment where you know stocks can do well in that environment, the professor's right, 100% right. But I do 100% agree, and our macro strategist, who I call Wild Bill, Wild Bill Inglis, he's wild because <laughs> he can see around corners. He's called this inflation issue for a long time. But the navigation by the Fed has been absolutely masterful. I think it continues. Well, Kevin, it's it, the one thing about higher rates is that they tend to eat higher valuation stocks. That's why we had low rates forever and always high valuation. Nobody cared if a company actually made money. You were just talking about the balance sheet, right? What about some of these high flyers? I mean, think about this. In the last three months, Hormel, the maker of Spam, is up 10%. Snap, the maker of Snapchat, is down 30%. It's Spam over Snap because that rotation in valuations (laughs) occurred. Is it too early to jump back into some of these just absolutely crushed high valuation stocks. No, you know, these, these high valuation stocks add something to the economy that you can't ignore. It's productivity. And as a result, it's accelerated a lot of the use of this technology during the pandemic, particularly in direct consumer and the change of the consumer behavior. And that was all driven by technology. They're volatile. And I always use the index that I like to go back 15 years on. People had to hold their nose at Amazon volatility. And look at where you are today. You're up 
tens of thousands of percent. So you have to get used to that in your portfolio, maybe limited to 20%. And there's one other thing to think about in this acceleration of inflation that we've never had before in previous cycles, back to 82 and even earlier in the 70s. We've never had an asset class called crypto before. And normally what would happen, you'd start to position yourself into gold when you started to see inflation show up. And that's not happening the same way. There is positioning in gold going on, but the asset class that's outperforming right now is crypto and blockchain. And because they'll be very productive in an inflationary environment, that may be a time now. And I know this is not yet an institutional asset class, but it's certainly starting to be looked at a lot more. And I've increased my position in crypto and blockchain infrastructure quite a bit this year. I was planning to get to a 7% weighting, but the, the appreciation of the assets underneath have taken me past 10. And we're not even at year end yet. And so I think that's going to be a trend that continues. I think the regulator has to get involved here in all kinds of different crypto asset classes, particularly stablecoin, because right now you can stake or lend your stablecoin, USDC, for example, for 6 to 7 even 8% interest. You can't do that with anything else. And I warn everybody, and I look at this every day, cash yep. is now being taxed at 4 to 6% because that's what inflation is. So having cash is a huge problem right now. And people are going to some of these cryptos that pay that uh, yield, almost like a bank. Kevin, we'll get to more on crypto and your thoughts, by the way, a little bit later on in the show. Fan favorite. But right now, let's make grumpy old Larry Ellison happy for once and talk about his baby. And that is Oracle, the little talked about stock soaring to all time highs in the back of its earnings beat fueled by the cloud. Guess what? Oracle is now the best performing stock in the tech sector this week. And the stock has now also outperformed its cloud rivals like Microsoft, Salesforce, and SAP all year. Let's welcome in another voice, our friend Sarat Seti, who joins Oracle. You own it. You have owned it for a while. You've been the Oracle of Oracle, telling people to buy it. Why is it finally now starting to get a little bit of attention? So what happened was you finally went from mid single digits to high single digits growth rate. So what what the company's forecasting now is on the higher end of six to eight percent. This was something that they'd been saying for a few quarters. Nobody really believed them. The stock was trading at 14 times earnings. They've been buying back shares for the last three years. Now what you're seeing is this inflection point. The cloud is now growing high double digits. You're seeing license revenue growing. You've seen the management actually come out to saying that they're going to triple the revenue in the next three to five years. Along with that, this is a cash flow rich company. Margins were 200 basis points above what they expected or what they actually told uh, the street to expect. So you've got a company now that's re-rating. It's still trading at 18 times earnings, you know, a discount to the market. But it was it was one of those show me stories. And it hadn't shown what they could do for a long time. So now they're finally in their element. And I think the, the room to grow is so much. And the beauty of this business is it's not all about stealing market share. This whole market is growing. And they have figured out now how to grow with the market. And in fact, if you look at their competitors, a lot of them have put together a lot of mergers, like the SAPs of the world. This is a one product company that has grown from the bottom. So we really like this story. Um, you know, I think going forward, a lot of people have not been on top of the story, so you will see new attention come in. And now they've got to keep on executing. This cannot be yeah. a one or two quarter story. That is kind well, of the downside so to this. But but the upside is, yeah. Well, very quickly, because right. do people understand what Oracle is or tell us what you think Oracle is? I'll tell you why we say that. 
Oracle was a database company forever, and it still largely is. Databases, yeah. like we talked about earlier, the theme of the show is boring. Databases are boring. Recurring right. revenue, not a lot of growth. D they have moved. Uh, they made some deals. Are they still primarily a database company, or should we look at them differently? I think they are a database company with their growth drivers on the cloud and license revenue. This is the recurring revenue that's high margin business that over time, over the next three to five years, is going to dominate their business. You don't want to get rid of the database business. That is a cash heavy, rich business that's providing you the capital to grow on this other business. The key here, the difference is we've reached this inflection point. And that inflection point is that People now see them as a real player. They are getting new customers. They are growing. They're not just taking their current customer base yeah. and, and, and putting them on the cloud. Cloud is real. They are actually getting market share. They are not this you know, small player anymore. They are in the game. And I think that's where people will now have to see and re-rate the stock to say, hey, recurring revenue business, inflection point, yeah. high single digits, maybe higher. And if they can execute, the stock will do, continue to do well. Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, Piper Sandler, Sockgen, and Barclays, and probably other, but there's five that I can just see right here all raising their target and or their rating on Oracle recently. So the street getting behind it. Surat said you've been right on that one for a long time. Congrats. Surat, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Up next, the investment committee is making a lot of other moves in this market. We're going to talk about some of their new buys, maybe some of their new sells discuss and debate them as well. The markets are up on pace for one of the best weeks of the year. You're welcome, America. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Political and military leaders and family members are attending the funeral for Bob Dole at the Washington National Cathedral. President Joe Biden giving a somber eulogy for his former Senate colleague, quoting Dole in a call for bipartisan cooperation. I learned that it's difficult to get anything done unless you can compromise. Not your principles, but your willingness to see the other side. Those who, suggest, those who suggest a compromise is a sign of weakness 
misunderstand the fundamental strength of democracy. In Mexico, the death toll has risen to 55 from the crash of a truck carrying migrants. It's been called one of the worst death tolls of migrants in Mexico in the past decade. A lawsuit challenging Georgia's new election law will be allowed to continue. A federal judge has thrown out motions to dismiss the suits. The lawsuits argue that the election law disproportionately disenfranchised people of color. State officials say that the law does not discriminate. You're now up to date. Brian, I'll send it back to you. Rahel Solomon, Rahel, thank you very much. All right, we have got a market flash on General Motors. Dom Chu is back. John, what's going on with GM? All right, so GM is up about two and three quarters percent right now, Brian, and we have seen a bit of a pickup in trading activity. A lot of it due to some headlines coming out of uh, the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones, in essence, talking about GM's EV or electric vehicle ambitions. According to sources familiar, General Motors plans a Michigan-based battery cell factory with a joint venture partner in South Korean electronics giant LG. Also, General Motors plans more than $3 billion worth of those EV projects in the state of Michigan, again, according to sources familiar, and that it plans to spend more than $2 billion to convert a suburban Detroit factory into one for electric trucks. Again, this report from the Dow Jones Wall Street Journal crew is helping to move some of those stocks and especially in General Motors here. Brian, that's the reason why it's moving. We'll keep an eye on those. And of course, any other EVs in the space, I'll send things back over to you. Wow, big move there by GM and maybe good news on the job front as well. And some of these factories outside of Detroit, Dom Chu, thank you very much. LG, of course, one of, if not the biggest electric car battery makers in the world. All right, let's switch gears. The investment committee is making a lot of moves. Amy, we're going to start with you. You are trimming a little bit. You're not dumping out of NVIDIA and adding to two other names. And I'm also told gold, but I can't believe that's true. And it's true, actually. Um, so we've trimmed a few of our big winners. We've trimmed NVIDIA, um, Intellia, and Impinge, all stocks that are up over 100% still year to date. Um, we, especially Intellia and Impinge, we smaller cap companies that we still believe in long term, but just taking some profits there. Um, we've added to some of our more more defensive and cyclical names, some energy stocks, um, gold um, I, with real rates this negative and probably going to get more negative. Um, I know Kevin O'Leary likes crypto, but we're, we're sticking with the tried and true gold. I think it will work. Um, and some and even Franco, we, we added to. So um, definitely going more to the cyclical part of the economy and trimming some of some of our winners. Yeah. Uh, can you make a little bit more of the case for gold? I mean, and, and we're going to get Kevin back on in just a moment, but but sure. talk to us about gold. It's not doing anything for you. It costs money if you own the physical thing. I mean, you can buy the right. ETF, I guess. Right. Well, gold, um, we're, and we're buying the ETF and, and Franco. Um, gold tends okay. to do very well when um, when when real rates are negative, as they are now. And with inflation continuing and the Fed on hold, as we talked about recently, we think real rates were, are going to continue to be negative. So you're losing money. If you're losing money holding cash, you're losing money holding bonds. Um, you know, we think gold will more likely move with inflation as as we move into an extended period of time with inflation um, with inflation rising. So it, historically, that has been a good trade. Um, we think it will work again. We do think that there has been money that typically would have gone into gold that's going into crypto. Um, I think 
you know, crypto trades very differently than gold. Um, I don't think it is the safe store of assets um, that that gold is. And I think people are, are realizing that um, and will continue to. OK, Rob, let's talk about you. You're buying Regeneron. You're adding to Pfizer. So kind of going along the pharma biotech complex, as well as the investment bank Lazard. Tie those together. Well, they don't necessarily tie together. Uh, so they're in a couple of different portfolios. So Regeneron's in our quality growth portfolio. It, it trades cheap, um, great fundamental stability, high free cash flow, earnings quality, solid capital deployment. Last month, they reported a strong uh, third quarter, both with top and bottom beats. And, um, you know, investors can debate the sustainability of the uh, COVID-19 antibody revenues, but it's tough to argue against their 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 execution. Um, as it relates to Pfizer, we've owned this stock. It's an addition. It's a, and again, this is about stock selection and what we're focused on. Forward PEs only 12.9 times. It's a play on the healthcare space, but you've seen the execution that they've had uh, around COVID has really been really been second to none. Lazard's really in our dividend portfolio. And, uh, you know, this is a play on financials, a cheap play on financials. It trades it not only to discount through the S&P, but a discount to the financial sector. And so, uh, you know, with the dividend growth they have, and it's a pretty attractive company. What we got out of is we liquidated TJX um, in the quality growth to buy okay. uh, Regeneron, and we trimmed uh, Comcast to buy the others in our dividend portfolio. So... Uh, you know, I wanted to comment. I'm getting a lot of comments on the helmet in the background, the Steeler helmet. Guys, I don't care if they're 0-16. I'm going to be a Steelers fan. Yeah. Almost the greatest comeback took steel- in history Come on. last night. Don't Pete. talk about the Steelers. On, don't even talk about them. Don't talk about them. I took the Steelers <laughs> plus three last night. They couldn't get it done at the end of the game, and I had Dalvin Cook on the bench on my fantasy team. So last night was terrible for many reasons. Pete <laughs> and Jerry, you're back. You. All right, let's talk about yeah, I, come on now, Big Ben. He's like my age. All right, you've got a new buy. You're adding Academy Sports to your equity portfolio. Who is Academy Sports and why are you adding them? Yeah, it's a really great question. Uh, if you're familiar with the Cabela's, that's probably a great comparison. Um, really interesting company. Oh. And they absolutely crushed it last night. I mean, when you look at the numbers that they were able to put up, Sully, um, and they've done this quarter after quarter, and you take a look at the stock over this year, and it's doubled. It's absolutely been an extraordinary year. You still look at them, and here's what makes it so interesting, though, because this is not some high multiple stock that doubled and now it's trading at some crazy triple-digit, you know, sort of a P.E. That's not even close to it. It's an 8P company. They continue to grow, and I think that because of that, that's what really got me excited. We had a lot of option activity in there. That's what actually grabbed my attention. But after I looked at it a little bit more, Scott, uh, I was looking at it just thinking, there's a lot more room to the upside, Brian. I, I, I really believe that because when you look at the growth trajectory of what's going on, when you look at that, the, the seasonal, seasonality, all the different things that go into this company, towards the end of the year, they put up some unbelievable numbers. And last quarter, the numbers they put up were extraordinary. But this time, just as an example, last quarter uh, a year ago, they were at 91 cents, and it was very solid. That was a big number. This year they put up a 175 versus a dollar 16. So that gives you a little bit of a background of just how extraordinary it is, and their growth trajectory yep. just continues to be there. So because of that, revenue beat everything else. I thought it made sense to add this to my portfolio. 
Okay, yeah. By the way, kind of like a, a Cabela's or a Dick's Sporting Goods, too. Looking it up mostly in the south. And by the way, Dick's Sporting Goods had some insider buying all this week as well. All yeah. right, stay with us. Pete's latest trades in unusual activity. That is coming up next on Halftime. Markets are up on a Friday. We're back right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. It is time now for unusual activity. All right, Pete, what kind of activity are you seeing that's unusual? Yeah, sure. I'm seeing a lot, as a matter of fact. And, and Costco is definitely one that really stands out for us, Brian. It's unbelievable how this stock makes the kind of moves that it's making, like, for instance, today. And we're looking at a stock that looks like it's an, an absolute breakout. The stock was trading well underneath 550 to start off the day, started moving up towards that level, and they bought 4,500 of the December 550 calls. Now, that that part's pretty interesting and unusual. Nice, big, chunky, looking for a breakout. They're already getting the breakout. The stock already has leaped up another couple of dollars. So it's really been a very, very fast reaction that we are seeing after we see the buying there. They were paying about $3 all the way up to about $7 for these options in Costco. I got a second one for you as well. McCormick. Now, we're talking about the food and spices and all the rest of that, MKC. 3,500 of the January 100 calls were bought. Now, these are far less expensive, 20 cents up to about 40 cents. But that's a pretty big move. This is a company that, while they were buying those calls, was trading just underneath $90 a share. So looking for a $10-plus move in the next month and a half or so, and it could be a very interesting thing. This is a company that a lot of guys I know on the desk over time have really liked. Um, I like it, and I think it's a really interesting trade that, that potentially – could, you know, absolutely explode to the upside. Somebody definitely thinks that it will with the 3,500 calls that they're buying. It goes into that consumer staples trade like we talked about. We talked about your favorite meat, Spam, earlier. Throw a little McCormick's on that, Pete. You got yourself a hell of a trade. All right, Broadcom rallying to an all-time high after the earnings beat. And if you had listened to Stephanie Link ahead of their results, you'd be up big on that trade. She's going to rejoin us. Tell us where this stock might go from here, great call by Stefan Broadcom. We're back right after this. Shares of Broadcom gaining off strong fourth quarter results. Now, Stephanie Link, if you remember, was adding to Broadcom ahead of that report. It is her largest semi-position and just got larger today by price gain. <laughs> Stephanie Link joining us now by phone. Uh, I mean, Jim Cramer was talking about Broadcom, Stephanie, like waxing poetic that they can't make their chips fast enough. They're literally printing two things, semiconductors and money. Uh, a great call, by the way, on Broadcom. Uh, are you selling any into this strength? Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Um, 
No, I'm not. I'm not selling. I think it actually can go a lot higher because it is trading at a 20% discount to its peers. It's trading at 16 times EV to free cash flow. Peers are trading anywhere from 20 to 30 times. So I think it can earn those kinds of multiples going forward. I've owned this for a long time, but the reason I added to it last week was post-Marvell and their strong quarter, especially in enterprise and networking. And that's a theme that I have been building uh, positions in my portfolio on because I think that enterprise spend recovery is going to not only happen, and we're seeing it in the second half of this year, but into next year as well. I own Cisco, HPE, and IBM for that very reason, as well as Broadcom. Their enterprise uh, division grew 30% year over year. And of course, this is 50% of total semiconductor revenues for the company. But wireless was also really good, up 21%. So they didn't feel the impact from Apple's supply issues. And they have 5 to 10% content gains um, with Apple in 2022. So good visibility. And then on their software business, everyone's been critical of them building out software. It's about 24% of total revenue. That grew 8% year over year, better than the 5% that the company was guiding. Margins were strong, up 100 basis points. And then, of course, you had the dividend boost of 14% and the buyback of $10 billion, both better than expected. So I don't know, I don't know what else you can ask for. Um, and, oh, by the way, they raised guidance, too. So <laughs> I really think the story is going to work in 2022. Well, right. Well, that's what else you can ask for is that guidance raise as well. AVGO, the old Avago ticker. Stephanie Link, great call. You made people a lot of money, Steph. We appreciate that. Got Kevin O'Leary back. Kevin, you got you got any views on Broadcom or any of the other semiconductors? Well, semi-demand is insatiable, and so I think it's going to bode well for the entire sector. The the issue with semis, though, and you've got to you know be able to deal with volatility. PEs get readjusted based on people's assumptions about the industry very very quickly in this sector. It's always been the case. But you have this unique situation where you know five decades ago, one hundred percent of semis are made in. United States, and now only 25%. So you've got billions of dollars coming back into this in building semis again. It's even part of the infrastructure plan. And I think this sector is a pretty good hold for the next five years because this idea of getting to 50% you know, dependence on our own semi-manufacturing is a big deal. And so you've got capital going into building out infrastructure and you've got insatiable demand. Just look at the auto companies just them alone, and the rest of the technology is used in pretty well everything in everyday life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you got to be long this for the next five years, I think. Wow, long-term play there on Broadcom. Strong words, Kevin O'Leary. Thank you very much. All right, folks, check out this mystery chart. Now, this one is not going in the direction you want. Down over 20% in a month. Kevin owns the stock, and he's now buying more. Who is that? What's your guesses in the commercial break? We'll be back with that in the name and the trade with Kevin next. All right, welcome back. So we showed you a mystery chart before the break. I actually got some pretty good guesses in there. So let me sing DocuSign. That's down a lot more. The chart is Coinbase, down over 23% in one month. But Kevin O'Leary, you are not deterred. Even with some weakness in the crypto space, you are buying more Coinbase. How come? You got to remember the story of this stock. One of the reasons it uh, really had a downturn, it got into a let's call it a tussle with the regulator regarding a product called Loan, mm. uh, or actually Lend, it was called. And the idea was that they would stake stablecoin and make six, eight, nine percent interest. Now, this idea of staking stablecoin is being permitted in other jurisdictions: in Switzerland, in Canada, in Australia, 
in uh, parts of the United Arab Emirates is being considered. And so regulators are changing their minds about this. Most of it is around USDC, the Circle product, which started just, I don't know, a year ago with $2 billion under assets, and now it's $30 billion, including institutional holdings. So the play on Coinbase is crypto infrastructure. They are going to go to other jurisdictions where they're allowed to allow staking because they're a global platform. And so they're getting very savvy at it. They're going to different geographies and putting out the Lend product there. And I think that's the beginning of the tonal change that's going to occur in our own country. You saw that Jeremy Allaire just in the last few days is in front of Congress. He's, he's willing to turn his whole circle into a bank and be federally regulated just to get USDC as a product for institutions. I like the direction of this. And so for me, I'm looking for infrastructure. And Coinbase is one of those global platforms, millions of accounts. And as soon as these products get turned on, you have to prove your geography. You have to have an IP address that's allowed in. But it's no different than FTX or Binance. They're doing the same thing. So if you're into crypto, and I know we're debating whether you should be in crypto or not. It's a binary decision. Either you like it or you don't. I'm in the like it camp. And so I'm looking for ways to diversify my portfolio. Coinbase is one way to do that. Okay, hey Rob, very quickly, your thoughts on crypto? Uh, Tom Lee and Fundstrap putting out a note. I'm, I apologize, I'm looking down to read it. Basically, a, a European Central Bank official on the tape saying that it's negative for society. It impacts mining and the environment. Criminals use it, and there's lack of investor protection. So at least one ECB official coming out and kind of throwing some cold water on crypto. Maybe it won't matter at all. What do you think? So I think you got to bet on the ecosystem, the crypto ecosystem. I, l- listen, every now and then something comes along to knock us into a dip- different atmosphere. It's disruptive. The Internet in the late 90s, uh, you know, when uh, right now we think that th- that's blockchain, that's crypto. And most people are betting on the blue chips. We are too. Anybody can tolerate yep. a five percent volatility in their portfolio. So you, if you if you put five percent in and it ends up not working out, you're going to be fine. But it is attracting some of the brightest minds in finance. When you look at the ex-president of Morgan Stanley, Zoe Cruz launched a platform called mm-hmm. Manai, which is a use case uh, investment strategy in crypto. Listen, this is game changing. And I think it's going to disrupt the financial system. Naturally, there's going to be naysayers. So we are investing in crypto. We're doing it thoughtfully. I want to make the right decisions and think other investors should, too. Okay. Rob, thank you very much. Final Trades next on Halftime. All right. Welcome back. Final Trade time. Pete, why don't you kick it off? Sure. As uh, yesterday, we had two monster buyers in Apple. I think it's going higher. We even saw buyers all the way up to 205, Apple. Kevin. Coinbase, global infrastructure, Internet, and crypto, all in one package for 2022. Rob. Green Thumb Industries, they're the Tiffany of cannabis. Oh, new name there. And Amy. Okay, super contrarian, but I'm going to go with Stitch Fix. The stock's down from over 100 to less than 20. Um, $2 billion market cap now. Okay. They've had execution issues, but I there think there's long-term value there. That does. Thank you, Amy. All right, that does it for halftime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older 
like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 